Ken Sandy is the author. And I'm going to read something that he says. God also may use conflict to expose sinful attitudes and habits in your life. Conflict is especially effective in breaking down appearances and revealing stubborn pride, a bitter and unforgiving heart, or a critical tongue. Would any of you debate whether Ken Sandy wrote this book? His name is on it. Publisher would say he wrote it. Anyone want to argue about his authorship? I don't have any takers. I have another book here, Grace, Living Confidently in God's Unfailing Love by Jerry Bridges. Some of you may have heard of him. The Pursuit of Holiness, The Practice of Godliness and Trusting God are some books that he wrote. He says, grace is not a matter of God making up the difference, but of God providing all the cost of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has a lot of other good things to say. And there's some recommendations in the back by J.I. Packer, Jerry White, C. Samuel Storm, Charles Colson, R.C. Sprawl. Would any of you want to debate whether or not Jerry Bridges wrote that book? You would, take, you would take it at fact that his name is on it, the title's on it, so he wrote it, he's the author. Why is this book, the Bible, under such great attack? What is the difference? Why will we accept what some history book will say about George Washington? We'll assume the author is on target. But we read what the Bible says and people say, well, it can't be true. It can't be true, especially Genesis 1 and 2. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to necessarily be discussing something maybe new initially. But we want to let the testimony of the Creator speak. We go to a courtroom and we usually let the accused speak. And then we have other people share. So the one who claims to be Creator, let's just read his testimony. I'm going to read through Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to think, what is the text saying? Just what is the text of Scripture saying? Don't add, don't delete. Just what is the text of Scripture saying? We'll give opportunity for discussion or response then. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse and the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land, or called the dry ground, land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bears fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night. And let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing that moves with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. And over every living creature that moves on ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. What does God say about creation? Looking just for obvious things, nothing special. Looking for a response. Okay, it was good. God created it. God created it. Anything else? Okay, man is made in his, God's image. You would say, and God is good. And God said, yeah. God said it was good. You know, what he created was good. Anything else that the text states?
the specifics of what it was he created. He gives specifics of what he created? Anything else? He did it in six days. He did it in six days? Anything else? Everything was created at a mature stage. So that answers the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken. Created at a mature stage, you know, full-grown man, full-grown animals, you know, ready to reproduce and so on. Anything else? After their own kind. Who is saying what is being said in Genesis 1? Whose testimony is it? This is God's testimony concerning creation. He states some things very, very clearly. In John 1, you'll find some of the same things. We'll look at a couple passages next week, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. Most of these you already said, what does God say? He created. That's his testimony. God created heavens and the earth. Who wrote Genesis? Who wrote Genesis? God. God? Through whom? Through Moses. And God says something about Moses and whether what Moses wrote was true or not, and that'll be subject for another night. The Spirit of God was involved in creation. Clearly stated, God spoke and it happened. Six days were involved. Structure and order and limitations were involved. We didn't read chapter 2, but responsibilities are involved in creation. It's mentioned in chapter 1, also in chapter 2. Clearly stated, man is in God's image. Man is to rule over creation. Reproduction is part of creation. What God created was very good. Now, this is God's testimony. So I recently get done reading a book about Andrew Jackson. And in the book, the author quoted some of what Jackson said. Jackson said it, he said it. I didn't debate it, I didn't argue it, I didn't go somewhere else and say, well, this must not be true, I better check it all out. I accepted what he said. God said, this is what I did. That's his testimony. In relation to creation, let's keep the issue of creation simple by accepting the testimony of the Creator. Why would we argue His testimony? Why would anyone reject or deny the clear testimony of God? We'll come back to that in a few moments. This is God's testimony. This is what I did. What testimony do we have from evolution? Anything that you read in a textbook or a book that deals with evolution, 
Was the author present in the evolutionary process? No. Was anyone present in the evolutionary process if it did take place? No, because man wasn't there. But we have the testimony of creation from someone that was there. Why would we debate that testimony? We talk about evolution, and it's people projecting back billions of years, and they were not there. I believe there's all kinds of evidence for creation, but we're dealing with the testimony of God. There's no relationship in evolution as in in creation. Adam and Eve created in God's image, not present in evolution. By the way, if you follow evolution, then basically we have a glorified animal in mankind who lives by instinct which creates all kinds of problems. Creation is an issue of faith, as is evolution. Faith in what the Creator says comes first. Then you can look at evidence. But Hebrews clearly says, It's by faith that we know the universe came into existence. It's by faith. We take the testimony of the Creator. We live in light of the testimony of the Creator, 1 Peter chapter 3, and then that leads to being able to give testimony of God at work in our life. Creation involves accountability. No, God told man what to do. We'll mention that in just a few moments. Let me pose a couple questions. Why would creation be attacked so greatly by Satan? Why would creation be attacked so greatly by Satan? It eliminates God. No creation, no God. No creation, no Christ. No creation, no Savior. Because John 1, Hebrews 1, and Colossians 1 all talk about Christ as creator in the context of salvation. Do we see Satan as the mastermind behind the creation-evolution debate? Do we recognize that the enemy is behind that? Do we see Satan as the mastermind behind the emphasis on evolution in our country? See, if we follow evolution, we deny the testimony of the Creator. Now we have no accountability. We have no God, no accountability. 
We think if we, when I say we, as American citizens, many people think if we get the right person in office and we get the right laws in place, it'll solve our problem as a nation. Laws are not the primary issue in our country. We need them. I'm not saying we don't, shouldn't have them. In a fallen world, you need some type of law. But the bottom line is not laws. It's a matter of faith. Why do we accept what some historian will write but reject what God as historian writes? Why do we accept what some historian will write but reject what God writes as his, God as historian writes? I don't dare you to have your kids or grandkids to do this. It wouldn't be appropriate. But suppose some kids went to school and, you know, the textbooks are handed out and you see the author and you student go, raises his hand and says, Teacher, I see that so-and-so wrote this textbook or maybe a number of people wrote this textbook. I just want you to know that I don't believe they wrote it. So I'm not sure I can believe the textbook. Can you prove to me that these people wrote the textbook. Teacher would probably say, something wrong with that kid. But yet we do that with Scripture in our country. Not limited to our country, but since we live here. We will question the validity of the testimony of God but we won't question the testimony of some historian. How do you know George Washington ever lived? Were you there? Anyone here when George Washington was supposed to have lived? None of us were. How do you know he lived? Well, you say people wrote about him. Ah, maybe they're not telling the truth. Maybe they're lying. Well, there's historical facts about Washington living. Well, maybe they're not facts. Maybe someone made them up. Well, we all know he was the first president of our country and he was involved in the Revolutionary War. Were you there? No, then how do you know? You take the word of somebody. What do we do with creation? We take the word of God, the testimony of God. He was there. He was the only one there. We take his word. So who was present in evolution? There were no people. Well, how do we know it happened? We'll look at the evidence. What evidence? So you want me to buy into evolution when there was n- you have no one present to testify that it's true. Yeah. Which based on this evidence. Well, how do you know it's evidence? Well, we think it is. 
But are you proof positive that it's evidence? Well, we think it is. Well, do you have any testimony of anyone that was there? No. Well, do you have any testimony in creation who was there? Yeah, God. Well, I don't want to accept what God says. See, that's the core issue. Why won't people accept what God says? So is Christianity based on evidence, proofs, or faith? The bottom line is faith. We take what God says. Now, when we take what God says and then you look at his creation and observe it, it's very obvious that a creator is involved. There's many scientists and much has been produced as far as creation. But it goes back to the testimony of the creator. Is evolution based on proofs or faith? It's again an issue of faith. No, I'll take what people say and so on. So whose testimony will we accept? Or what testimony will we accept? Now let's go to Gen- or I'm sorry, to Romans chapter one. Our children can go to school. We can go to all kinds of museums. We can go to aquariums. And over and over, we're told billions of years. Ruth Ann was just mentioning to me that there was something in some line of news that Ben Carson is being made fun of. How can such an intelligent man who has the skill to do brain surgery believe such an absurd thing as God and creation and all of that? Look at Romans 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is made plain to them, because God made it plain to them. Notice a couple things there. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against what? The godlessness and wickedness of men. But what do they want to do with that? They want to suppress it. They want to push it down. What can be known about God has been made plain to them. The whole human race has some things made very plain to them. That is God's wrath revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We won't take time to interact a lot on this passage. Sometime in the future we will. But the text makes it very clear. God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what is made, so that men are without excuse. 
Humans know that there is a creator God who has the invisible qualities of eternal power and divine nature. They also know that the creator God is against godlessness and wickedness. They know that. How do they know it? From what has been created. What has been made. God has revealed that through his creation. Well, you say, why don't people respond to God then? Why do people go down different paths? Why do they follow different gods? Why do they go down the evolutionary path and so on? Well, look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. What happens? People don't want to glorify God as God. They don't want to give thanks to him. Ah, there's no God. God didn't create the heaven and the earth. Why do people say that? They choose not to glorify God as God nor give thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Oh, you've got to prove, me, to prove to me there's a God. Why do you want me to prove to you that there's a God? You already know that there's a God. And you made a choice not to glorify him as God, nor to be thankful to him. You're fighting against him so strongly because you know that God is against the godlessness and wickedness of men and that his eternal power and divine nature are very clearly seen. You made a choice not to glorify him nor to be thankful. Therefore, one becomes futile and their foolish heart is darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and changed the immortal glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So someone comes up to us and says, prove to me there's a God. May I ask why you would like for me to prove that there is a God? Well, if you can prove to me there's a God, I'll believe in him. May I read to you or let you read Romans 1, 18 through 25, which tells you why you want proof of a God. You want me to prove that there is a God because you've already rejected him. You are not willing to glorify him as God or to be thankful to him. 
you've turned your back. I can't prove that there is a God because God has already demonstrated He is and you have rejected. The reason you're fighting God so strongly is because of your own sin. God has revealed from heaven that he is against godlessness and wickedness of men. So when you want me to prove that there is a God, you're trying to suppress God and what he reveals in creation. So I can't prove it to you. I'm sorry. I can't prove there's a God. Because belief in God is by faith. Well, then I won't believe there is a God. That's your decision. But remember, you made your decision a while back. You didn't glorify God as God. and You didn't give thanks to him. See, that's the crux of the matter. So many times, unbelievers will demand... You prove to me there's a God and I will follow. And you can go to all kinds of places and they'll talk about millions and billions of years. Just prove. I think we need to honestly say I don't have any. I can't prove anything to you because you've already walked away from God. Romans 1. Now there's tons of evidence that God created. But that won't change someone's heart. Because it's an issue of faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How do we know the universe was created by God? By evidence? No, Hebrews says by faith. We take the word of the testimony of the one who was present. Now, when we come to God in faith, we come to Christ in faith, we can look at many of the evidences that God created, and they affirm our faith. But it begins with faith. The evidence and so on follows. So if we are not careful as believers... We think we need all kinds of books to prove. We need to have all kinds of knowledge to prove to unbelievers that there's a God so they might come to faith. When I think we can take them to Scripture and say, would you please read verses 16 through 23? You want proof because you've already chosen not to glorify God as God and not to give thanks to him. It's not an issue primarily of evidence. It's an issue of faith. And that's why Hebrews and 1 Peter would say, as we live by faith in the creator God, live by faith in Christ and what he has done, our lives are radically changing. We live to or by the command of God 
And then the unbeliever will see the life and say, what about the hope that you have? See, God doesn't defend himself. He says, I created. We'll prove that's not the issue. Will you take my word by faith? Whose testimony will we accept? Questions or comments as we wrap it up. Our children may go to school. Public school, private school, home school. We send kids off to college. Whatever type of college it may be. And over and over we may say, we've got to prepare our kids for school and for college. Otherwise, they might drift from the faith. We need to really bombard them with tons of evidence. I think we might be much wiser to bombard them with tons of faith. In God. And to help them understand when they hear that prof in college go on and on against God and that there is no creator God and everything evolved, in their minds to be thinking that prof already made a choice not to glorify God as God nor to give thanks to him. This isn't an issue of debate on evidence. It's an issue of faith. He chooses faith in a system that has no testimony of anyone that was present. I'm choosing faith in God who spoke in Genesis 1 and 2. He was present. And then there's all kinds of evidence in God's creation of a designer. But the bottom line is for those who want to follow a different path. They won't glorify him as God nor give thanks to him. That's the crux of the matter. I'm not opposed to evidence. I'm not opposed to apologetics or anything else. But it begins with faith. Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But I have to have proof. No, if you want proof, it's indicating that you're struggling in responding to God and what he has revealed through his creation. And I think we need to help our young people. We need our own selves as older people need to understand that and instruct others. So if we sat down with a young person who's going off to a, what we call, College where they're going to get all kinds of indoctrination and bombarded them with Hebrews 11 and 1 Peter and Genesis 1 and 2 and said, it's an issue of faith. And God is creator and what God says. And please understand that when someone else says there is no creator, it's millions and billions of years and or they follow Islam or whatever, please understand 
They've already rejected God as creator, Romans 1. Now that we got that straight, here's 10 books you can read (laughs) by men who are skilled in learning about things in creation that show there's a creator. But even if you don't have them, you have the testimony of the creator. And you're going to go to school that would tell you there's all kinds of evidence for evolution. Just ask them, were you there? No. Who was there? No one. Is it really evidence? Well, yeah. Then why do the textbooks change? Why are they updated? Well, we think we found something new. Well, how do you know that's true? I'm not being harsh when I say that. A couple of years back, I asked Karen to get a biology book from Went Northwest. And this could be true in Lake Lehman or any other school in the area. And I looked through their biology book. They were listing as evidence for evolution things that the evolutionists now will say are not evidence any longer. They found them not to be true. And I don't say that critically. I just say we need to think well and recognize it's an issue of faith primarily. People who do not want to accept God won't glorify Him as God, won't give thanks to Him, and they go in a different direction. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. We take your word at face value. We take the testimony of God concerning creation at face value. And sometime in the future, we will discuss why we can trust God's word as being true. You tell us why. You give us a whole pattern for determining what is true and what is false. And that pattern was followed, and we have a completed scripture today that is trustworthy. And Father, as we live in our world, we live among unbelievers. We want to be people of faith and be able to reason with others and help those that, who may demand evidence point to them that there is evidence in creation, but they have walked away from it because they didn't want to glorify God as God nor give thanks to him. May we be gentle and speak with love and grace, but yet a deep conviction because of your testimony. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.